Years ago, Stephen Pyle wrote a book entitled The Book of Failures. And, and I, I enjoy reading stuff like this, crazy ideas that didn't work. My, my favorite story is the idea that the Russian army developed way back in World War II. Some genius hatched this scheme to blow up German tanks by using Russian dogs with wooden boxes of explosions, explosives strapped on their backs. Okay, so they would, they would recruit these, these Russian dogs, <laughs> you know, and then they'd strap a box of explosives on their backs. The plan was to teach the dogs to associate food with the underbelly of army tanks. And when the dogs were released, they would instinctively run to the German tanks with the box of explosives strapped on their back. And it had a lever on the box that would hit the tank and trigger the detonation. Their thought was, you would lose a dog, but you'd blow up an enemy tank. Now come on, you got to laugh at that. I mean, that's a crazy idea. So the tanks lined up to do battle. And the mine dogs is what they called them, M-I-N-E, mine dogs. I have another name for them, kamikaze dogs. <laughs> the mine dogs were released, but, but the Russians discovered a very serious flaw to their brilliant plan. These Russian dogs only associated food with Russian tanks. So instead of blowing up enemy tanks, they were blowing up their own tanks. <laughs> Come on, you got to laugh at that. Isn't that great? Oh, well. You know what? Y'all are just a bunch of dog lovers out there. That's all I got to say. You know, here's the deal. Reading, reading a book of failures reminds me that all of us fail. Really, we don't like to talk about it, and you certainly don't want me to talk about it this morning, but that's the truth. We've all failed. Sometimes you might even go through a season of failure. And sometimes failures are larger than other times. I've read many wonderful books dealing with the subject of failure. Usually they say things like this, quote, The only man who never makes a mistake is the man who never does anything. That's pretty good. Theodore Roosevelt said it. And I'm telling you, if Teddy said it, it's got to be good. You know, I've read inspirational stories about great men like Thomas Edison that simply refused to let failure stop them. There's one story that Edison spent $100,000 to obtain 6,000 different fiber specimens. And out of those 6,000 specimens... Only three of them worked. Each failure, he said, brought him that much closer to the solution to his problem. Well, that's one way to look at it, isn't it? His friend Henry Ford was right when he said that failure was the opportunity to begin again, this time more intelligently. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Are you there? Yeah, okay, all right, just checking, yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I'd like to be like Thomas Edison. Yeah? Sometimes I'd like to be like Henry Ford, but unfortunately, sometimes I'm not. Sometimes 
when I fail, I feel like a failure. You ever felt that way? Like you're a failure? I don't think I'm alone in this. In fact, I believe that if we were honest, many of us in this room would say, you know what, at one time or another, I felt like a failure, and maybe you're here today, and you feel like a failure. Last week, we picked up the subject that I'm calling Lost. It's a little mini-series, two-part mini-series. I did Lost 1 last week, and this week I'm following it up with, with Lost 2. Our key verse is found in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. And here is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That is Jesus' mission of coming to earth. Jesus came to seek out and to save lost people. And here's how God sees us today. God sees us and he says to us, you have lost your way. And as a result of you losing your way, God says, I have lost something that I treasure greatly. I treasure you. And God loves you. And if you are lost today, Jesus is here looking for you and seeking you out. And so the message of grace is that God has come looking for us to show us the way back to Him. Last week we saw that it's our job as a believer, as a Christian, to help other people find Jesus. Really, that's our number one job as a Christian, is to lead other people to faith in Jesus Christ. And if you aren't deliberately trying to do that every day, you are not doing what God has designed you to do. Because you are the light of the world. Hmm? Today I want to piggyback on that idea and just come at it from a different angle. What I want to talk about today is this. What does it feel like when you're lost? Some of you can remember because it hadn't been that long ago when you were lost and dead in your trespasses and in your sins. What does it feel like on the inside when you're lost? Well, for many people, it feels like failure. And again, I think all of us in this room, we know what failure feels like. It's like when a person doesn't see his or her dream come true. That can make them feel like a failure. Right? We call this dream deflation. When you, when you get out of college, or for me, when you get out of seminary, you've got all these aspirations and all these dreams and all these lofty goals that you've set up here, and then life sets in. <laughs> and kids are born, and bills have to be paid, and life is tougher than you thought, and you never really reach those goals. Reality is somewhere down here, and your dreams were somewhere up there. For 90% of people, that's the reality of life. And there's a dream deflation there. Or when a person doesn't live up to their own moral standard, they can feel like a failure. And some of you, you goofed up this past week. You know, I'm, I'm not going to get into it and say exactly what you did, but you know who you are. And you've had a failure. And because of that, you feel like a failure. Sometimes we can set our bar so high that even if we do succeed, we still feel like a failure. And here's the kicker. Sometimes you don't fail at all. But people make you feel like you're a failure. 
Can I get an amen to that? You better believe it. Well, here's what I've learned about failure. When you stop having failures and you become a failure. Do you follow that? When you stop having failures and you become a failure. I've noticed three things happen. Number one, you stop trying. Number two, you stop caring. And then number three, you forget what you wanted in the first place. So let's talk about those three things. When you stop having failures and become a failure, number one, you stop trying. You can get beat down so many times that you just literally stop trying. Repeated failure can cause you to quit trying. There were people all over Jesus' world that had become failures, lost, broken people. Sometimes these failures were physical. In those days when a person was severely injured, uh, they stayed that way. There was no doctor to fix them. And so in the ancient world, because of lack of medication and, and physicians, if, if you were physically hurt, sometimes you would have to live the rest of your life like that. In Jesus' day, people who were broken were everywhere. People who had physical failures were all over the place, broken by some of, of the circumstances they faced in life. Like the story we find in John chapter 5. Let me direct you there. John chapter 5. Begin reading in verse number 2. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. They were waiting for the moving of the water. Verse 4, for an angel, this is what they believe, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the waters. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease they had. Now a certain man was there who had had an infirmity for 38 years. How long had this man been lame? 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, Jesus said to him, Do you want to be made well? Now what kind of question is that? Listen, Jesus had this knack of asking unique questions. And he asked this man, do you want to be made well? The dude's been lame for 38 years. Of course he wants to get well. Right? Yes. But honestly, I really don't think that's what Jesus was asking this man. In my humble opinion, I think Jesus was really asking this guy, hey dude, do you want to try one more time? Are you willing to try one more time? You see, this man had been trying to get well for 38 years. Now, I don't know how this pool of Bethesda thing worked. I don't know if they were able to come there seven days a week and wait for the stirring of the waters. But let's just say that's the way it was. Seven days a week, the gates to the pool of Bethesda were open. And for 38 years, seven days a week, this man has been coming to this pool trying to be healed. That would mean that he has spent the last 
13,870 days trying to be healed. But every time he tried, he failed. Did you get that? Every time he tried, he failed. Now notice what the conditioned response had done to this man. Verse number 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, while I'm struggling, while I'm trying, somebody else steps in before me. Church, listen to me. Repeated failure conditions us to fail. Repeated failure conditions us to fail. And it makes us stop trying. And we feel lost because we can't fix this. And we've tried fixing it 13,870 times and we failed. But look at what Jesus said to him in verse 8. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. That's interesting to me. Why didn't, why didn't Jesus say to him, I declare you be made well. Be well. Stand up and walk away. Why didn't Jesus say it like that? Because that's the way Jesus usually approached sickness and healing. He declared them well and they were well. But this one is different. He told this guy to do what he had been trying to do for 38 years. And he couldn't do it. Stand up, roll up your mat, walk away. Why? Why did Jesus say it like that? Here's what I think. I think Jesus wanted this man to try it one more time. I want you to try one more time, but this time, listen to me, this is important. This time, instead of trusting that water, this time, instead of trusting religious superstition... This time, instead of trusting your friends, Jesus said, I want you to trust me. Whoa, man. Verse 9, and immediately the man was made well. He took up his mat and he walked. He was healed after he stood up. It was after he stood up. He rolled up his sleeping mat and he began walking away. Failure conditions us to stop trying. So if you're here today and you're lost and you feel like a failure, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to try one more time. But this time, try it with Jesus. This time, trust Jesus. Number two, when you've stopped having failures and become a failure... Sometimes you can stop caring. Funny thing about failure. Sometimes the fear of failure is worse than failure. Somebody say, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> That's good, man. That's deep. It, it's true. Sometimes the fear of failure is worse than failure. For some people, the fear is such that they would rather go ahead and fail instead of having to worry about it. They would rather go ahead and get the failure over with 
and go on with life. My Zane, raise your hand, Zane. There's Zane right there. Zane, uh, he's been playing, he, he used to play baseball when he was a little kid. He started playing baseball when he was in kindergarten. T-ball. How many of y'all have ever done T-ball with your kids? Isn't it a hoot? T-ball's a hoot. Love T-ball. So he started T-ball, and that first year I was just a fan. I was a father, a fan. Not an old fart. I was a father and a fan. There's a story behind that. But anyway, I was, I was rooting for my kid. But the second year, uh, just simply because we had a lack of coaching, I, I volunteered to be a coach, to help coach. And I, I helped coach all through uh, elementary school when Zane was playing on, on teams down in Greenwood and here at Evans Boys Club. And, and uh, I, I, there, there's a couple of different kinds of coaches. One, one kind of coach really knows what they're doing and, the, and can teach the kids fundamentals. I wasn't that kind of coach, all right? In fact, when, when I volunteered to coach, right, when, I, when I volunteered to coach, Angie bought me this book, uh, Coaching Baseball for Dummies, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I, I figured out real quick that my job is not to teach them fundamentals of, of baseball. My job was to be the encourager. And so I was, kind of, I, was kind of, I was the dugout coach, okay, and I tried to encourage the kids. I don't remember what year it was or what team it was, but there, one year we had this little kid on our team, and uh, can, uh, let me just say, he didn't want to be out there. He did not want to be out there. And number two, he couldn't play. I'm going to be honest with you. He couldn't play. He wasn't any good. The only reason he was out there is because mom and dad wanted him to be out there. Okay? So he was having to come out there. He didn't care, didn't want to do it, didn't think he could do it. Back in those days with that age group, everybody batted. And so he'd, he'd come out of the dugout and he'd be dragging his bat stand up there just like this first pitch would come if it it doesn't matter if it was a strike or if it was a ball if it was rolling on the ground or if it was way over there here's what he'd do after the ball went by did y'all see that he wouldn't swing it like you're supposed to swing it he after the ball went by even if it was rolling and the umpire would shake his head strike one Second ball, no matter where it was, same thing. Strike two. Strike three. And he would drag his bat back to the dugout and eat sunflower seeds. <laughs> and so, what am I? I'm the encouraging coach. You know, the other coaches were yelling at him. I'd go over there and I'd put my arm around him. I'd say, listen, buddy, listen. I know you can do this. You just got to keep your eye on the ball and just swing that bat. You can do it. You're, you're a great kid. I think you're a great athlete. And I was doing this when I was saying, <laughs> I think you're a great athlete. <laughs> you can do this, man. You can do this. And he'd never say anything to me. Finally, I don't know, it was after the fourth or fifth game I was doing that to him. He said, here's what he said. Something like, what's the use? I can't hit it. You see, for some people, the fear of failure is such that if they can just go ahead and fail, strike one, strike two, strike three, and get it over with, they can go back to the dugout and not have to worry about it and get on with life. So coach, just let me go ahead and fail and get it over with because I can't do it. 
Here's what happens over a period of time. We learn to stop caring. I don't care. I don't care. There's almost a release to that if we say it enough. Let, let me say a couple of things about that. When you accept failure, you stop improving. When you accept failure, you, you stop trying, you stop improving. You know, we wouldn't let that kid do that. The, 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 the other coach that was really good mechanical coach, he worked with that kid overtime, even after practice. He would work with him. I worked with him overtime, trying to encourage him and build him up. Well, it was two-thirds of the way through the season. He was up there to bat. He actually started trying a little bit. A ball came across, and he hit it. Glory, hallelujah. We all started jumping up and down and shouting. And he stood there for a second. Then he took off to first base. And I was praying the whole time. And sure enough, they overthrew the first baseman. And he was safe. Woo! Everybody was happy. But when you accept failure, you stop improving. Number two, second statement is, I don't think anyone, nobody can ever completely Stop caring. We're not made that way. God didn't make us that way. And even though you don't think you care, you know what? You can't stop caring. I've got a biblical example of that. It's the woman at the well. She had stopped caring. Sort of. Are you with me? She had stopped caring. Kind of. Verse 6 of John chapter 4. Now Jacob's well was there. Therefore... Being wearied from his journey, Jesus sat by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. That, that's really important. The sixth hour was high noon. And we need to understand that for the context of this story. Most women of that village, in fact all of the women of the village, went to draw their water early in the morning when it was cool in the morning. And they would have water for the day. And it was kind of a social gathering. They would catch up on the gossip. I guess, I think that's what, anyway. They did it in the morning. This lady, however, came by herself at high noon in the heat of the day. Why? Well, it's obvious. She wanted to avoid the crowd. She's tired of hearing it. She had failed five times in marriage. Either she was real hard to live with or a very dis discontented person, or maybe a terrible judge of character. I don't know. But five times she had failed. She's there by herself in the heat of the day drawing water. Jesus shows up, sits down, and asks this Samaritan woman for a drink of water. Now that's pretty incredible because Jewish men didn't talk to women, much less Samaritan women. So we read in verse 9, the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? That's question number one. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, question number two, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater 
Then our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water in the well is going to thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor have to come to this well and draw any more. Now, I don't know, I've just always read this story and never given it much thought. But this past week, I gave it a whole lot of thought. I really wonder where this woman's coming from. Is she, is she being serious? I mean, it really, is she serious? Is she a seeker? Is she serious in her questions? Is she serious in her statement? Or is she being a little facetious? Or maybe even more than that, is she being a smart aleck? Because you can read it like that. Some of the things she said to Jesus could be taken that way. She's kind of being a smart aleck right here. Well, whatever the case, Jesus sees her heart. And he knows that underneath this hard shell of a woman is a hurting person. She has failed in relationship after relationship. You do this five times in a row, and let me tell you, you're starting to feel like a failure. And I'm not picking on this woman, nor am I picking on any woman in here. Because men are like that too. We have failure after failure after failure after failure, and we start feeling like a failure, don't we, guys? Yesterday, leaving Columbus, I was in the airport for a couple of hours. I'd been working on my sermon, and, and I started talking to this guy. He's a huge guy. And uh, come to find out, uh, he was a former NFL football player. He had played college football at the University of Georgia and was all pro. Uh, he was drafted the 150. 45th draft choice back in the 90s, and he played on several NFL football teams. He was a tight end. And great conversation with the guy. He's, he's a believer in Jesus Christ and was going to Oklahoma to a church tomorrow, today, to give his testimony. And here's what he said. He said, Will, from the outward appearance, according to this world, I was a success. I was an All-American college football player, drafted in the NFL. I played 10 years in the NFL. For all purpose, people looking at me, I am successful. But he said, I was empty on the inside. I had failed, and I had failed, and I had failed. I had failed my friends. I had failed my family. I had failed my wife and my kids. She left me and took the kids. I was a complete failure in life. And it's kind of funny because I just worked on this sermon. I'm thinking, you know, he's got something in common with that woman at the well. You know? How do I know that this woman started to feel like a failure after five botched marriages? How do I know that? Because she didn't marry man number six. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, You go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. 
In that you have spoken truly. Bottom line is this. This woman had stopped caring what everybody else thought a long time ago. Sort of. Kind of. She still cared enough to come at high noon to draw water. And she still cared enough that she desired a drink of this living water so that she wouldn't have to come back to that well every day. And then when Jesus broached the subject of her husband, boy, she dodged that one. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I, per I perceive you are a prophet. <laughs> She's avoiding that big time. Why? Well, you know what? She really did still care. She really did still care. And here's what I want you to hear. This is the point. I believe you still care. That's why you're here today. Right? When you stop having failures and become a failure, finally, number three, you forget what you want. Matthew chapter 20 tells the story of Jesus and these two blind men. And again, when we read the story, we, we see Jesus asking this incredibly strange question. Look at the story, verse 29 of Matthew chapter 20. Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? You see that? What do you want me to do for you? Guys, that's a strange question. What does every blind man want? <laughs> Man to see. Surely Jesus, the incarnation of God himself, understood what these men really wanted and needed. And of course he did. What Jesus was doing was asking them, do you remember? Do you still remember what you need? You see, when we feel like a failure and we stop trying and we stop caring, you can also forget what you really wanted from life. You see, early on, every blind man wants to see. That's all they want. Right? But then, in time, what they want is just to get through a day. Does that make sense? They just, they just want to make it through their day without tripping and falling and hurting themselves or having food to eat. They just want to make it through another day. But these two men, they remembered what they wanted. Verse 33, they said to him, Lord, that our eyes be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Now think about this. Ponder this question. What if these men were to have said, What we want more than anything, Jesus, is some money. So we can buy some food. Do you think Jesus would have healed them? <laughs> had they asked for money. So, bottom line is, what would you say? I'm talking to you. What would you say if Jesus were standing right here today and he asked you that question, what do you 
want me to do for you? Really, what would you say if Jesus asked you, what do you want me to do for you? And maybe, just maybe, you need to hear that today. Because maybe, just maybe, you have forgotten what you wanted. Life has beat you down. You've failed. You've quit trying and you've quit caring. And in time, you have forgotten what you've wanted. And you feel lost. Can I tell you, God, God is not that way. God never quits trying. God never quits caring. And God never forgets what He wants. And what He wants is to give you a second chance. What He wants is to have a personal relationship with you. And I'm here to tell you, God has never given up on you. Jesus is here this morning. And He's asking you this simple question. What do you want me to do for you? Church, would you listen to me? Failure is never final. Your failure is never final. Let Jesus do for you what Jesus has done for all the other failures in this world. He has turned our failure into success when we trust Him. And let me tell you, like on a dime, he can turn your life around today. 